What type of cover crops have you used? Our favorite for a long-term, you know, resting period is clover. We just put a mix of clovers out there and that works really well. During the season, we do combinations of like oats and peas, buckwheat and hemp, like sun hemp is a good one. Cow peas are really great. If you want to get some soil covered for the winter, like rye and vetch is another good combination. Welcome to Tangle Taproot, where we explore the unique stories of small-scale farmers in the Midwest. I'm John Cowan. I'm Jackson. And I'm Kristen. And this is a production of Milk and Hummus. What is Milk and Hummus? Well, Jackson, we make flavorful hummus and ready-to-drink plant-based lattes that focus on locally sourced ingredients, sustainable packaging, and the humble chickpea. In this episode, we talk to Amy Cloud, owner and operator of Three Rivers Community Farm, where she and her husband, Jose Lara, or Sege, they operate an eight-acre farm with their two children in Elsa, Illinois. That's northwest of St. Louis. Yeah, we drove out there. Entering their 17th season. Impressive. So Amy grew up in Michigan. It was a conventional farm. They grew mainly corn and soy. And at first, she didn't see herself as a farmer and instead imagined herself in a career of publishing. And so she even got her master's in writing. But something changed. A whole other type of agriculture, organic farming, piqued her interest. So that became her calling. What yeah. a journey. Quite, quite the journey indeed. She said that she resisted farming because she hated it growing up. Did not like the format or the style of the conventional yeah. farm. Did mm -hmm. not suit her interests. Resisted it, resisted it. So I'm assuming if she's an avid reader, if she's a, if she enjoys writing, and with that, I know that there is a number of really famous agricultural authors. Yeah, um, there's Gene Logston and Wendell Berry are a couple significant writer voices in the organic farming realm that uh, could play a role with even people maybe not with a love for gardening or outside. It, could even spark interest in those types, the way some of these gentlemen write, as far as making some sort of alluring appeal to um, outside and the potential of organically growing things and uh, really how wealthy it can be for you mentally and physically doing work like that and fulfilling the soil and what you're growing and what sort of products you might yield. So I can see where inspiration would come from a book. But also, I know Amy mentioned she really likes being outside. And that's something you have to, you got to be out in the elements when sure. you are uh, handling many acres. Yeah, definitely a liver of love. I think that she even mentioned Wendell Berry in the interview. Did she mention so. like her love, her love for them? But yeah, no, turns out she's just a country girl through and through. She did not. She moved to the city and, and realized it's not the life that she wanted to Desk live. Desk job is not for Amy. Yeah. Yeah. We feel you, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought her journey around the country, trying to glean her own skill sets mm -hmm. by uh, going to one of the oldest organic farms in the nation uh, to apprentice and learn there. I thought that seemed exciting and thrilling and I didn't really know that things like that were going on yeah you know a couple decades back because you know there's a lot of things that are kind of more new out there like woofing that some people have heard of w-o-o-f 
I can't even think of what it stands for right now. Worldwide Organizations of Organic Farming. Anyway, it's where kind of in exchange for housing and some produce and meals um, and, you know, a, a sort of situation, a setting, which oftentimes are quite beautiful. In exchange for that, you labor on the farm, but you're also learning a vast array of skill sets, including, you know, anything from sure. chickens, uh, pasturing, Dairy cows to Coffee, uh, vegetable farming, yeah, yeah I, or barley hops, right. uh, a huge array of options. So that's cool that there were that back then, which that makes her sound old. I did not mean that, but that there <laughs> were opportunities and ways to plug in in different spots and learn different things around the country. Sure, sure. I admire her bravery too and going to another region to dabble around in organic farming. Yeah, but it's, it seems like. Organic farming involves much more systems approach, systems being soil health. You're, you're also assessing all your other, your micro, your macro ingredients and looking at, at the, uh, your, your issues that arise, whether it be weeds, pests, what have you, more holistically. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely different than, you know, just covering your crops with a certain regime of, of pesticides, herbicides. Yeah, like a one-stop shop. Here's your bucket of toxins. This will get rid of this problem and that problem. Sure. With organic farming, there's a multifaceted issues to juggle and ways to handle things appropriately and holistically. You know, one of the one of the pests and vermin that she mentioned was a vole. Do you remember that? I do. That I bet is, there aren't that many people that I have know never heard about. of that. But now I have a new fear. <laughs> she said it's what bigger than a mouse. Yes, it is the Bigger, bigger brother of a mouse Ugh. or a large cousin of the mouse. And they apparently love vegetables. Radishes, too. They right. probably put them in their cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a chipmunk. Cheek. Yeah. <laughs> They've got good taste, though, right? Yes. These bulls know what they're going for. Yeah. They're seeking organic the vegetables. Organic they're kind of exclusive bull posse with right. nutrients in mind. Yeah. Smart. She was also something that she said in the interview was the cover cropping is something that she they do like almost half of the farm is just cover cropped. Um, that's a way to you know protect protect yeah. the stuff. That totally links back in with what John was right. saying as far as just yeah, it's not an easy road, but the the complexity and intentionality that goes into making and keeping it an organic farm, but also constantly improving and replenishing the soil. And just having that regenerative approach that we've heard about, that's, that's one of the big ways that, that Three Rivers Farm is doing their part to contribute to soil wellness and replenishing what's been lost. Even just in a growing season, she said like how significantly the organic vegetables pull and utilize so many nutrients out of the ground. And also, she did say, I believe it was a conventional farmland area, you know, before she and her husband started leasing it. So I think she said there was some downtime, uh, is that right, soil, to, believe, yeah, to work on that. amending the soil and adding in nutrients and like hauling in loads and loads and loads of compost, organic compost to help supplement and improve things. A very admirable, dedicated approach to regenerating the soil. And also preventing erosion, right? That's the other big critical thing with yep. getting roots in there. So, you know, in the Midwest here, we have some crazy wild thunderstorms. So We can't keep taking. We got to put back in to yes. uh, get those uh, high-quality, tasty vegetables where we want them. And they do have so much more flavor than the conventional stuff. And one of the main 
I guess, selling points or key aspects of Three Rivers Community Farm is their CSA program. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And for those that do not know what CSA is, it's uh, community-supported agriculture. But in a nutshell, it's essentially giving farmers an upfront payment for their bounty during the season. So it's like a subscription service is how she was kind of describing it. So it's kind of like the the customers um, and patrons know and trust Amy and Sege and their farm and their organic skill sets. So they're entrusting them with a product, uh, organic product through the growing season by kind of paying a subscription fee up front. So then Three Rivers gets all of that money at the beginning. So they are already ready to buy their seed and start seed and invest in their compost and everything. And then everybody else that's investing in the CSA Hopefully their money comes back to them in the form of delicious edible produce, but you are at a slight risk because, you know, your investment should some sort of pest or large weather inclemental situation arise, unfortunately, you know, there can be crop loss, but, but they, you know, they've got a huge dedicated following with people that trust them. Yeah. And you're cutting out the middle, the middleman, middlewoman store, basically taking your money as a consumer giving it directly to the farmer. So it's a win-win. You're getting the best pr- freshest produce. You're getting a good variety. You basically can have your own chopped version in, ki- in your own kitchen. Like, ooh, I got mm-hmm. this rutabaga. I got this uh, fancy pepper, some yeah. tomatoes, some, some greens. Let me, uh, let me see what magic I can do. Meal planning. Right. What right. a delight. Yes. Yeah. Well said. And that I think that CSA, Amy really talked about how tightly knit that community was and that outside of just providing produce that they kind of are able to strengthen, build and grow relationships with their CSA members over the last few years and growing mm-hmm. seasons and that they, you know, host little events and gatherings on their farm too. So it also kind of does a further service where the CSA is really connecting and helping plug in outside folks that maybe aren't even you know, rural or don't get outside much. It helps plug them into the earth and the farm and kind of see what, how things are happening and where things are growing. And I think that's kind of a cool side learning opportunity that, that Three Rivers is providing to those folks by just getting the opportunity to dig in and really see where things are coming from. Mm-hmm. Cause there's too much disconnect in the supermarkets. Nobody understands where that Plastic wrapped broccoli crown came from. Yeah. What country? <laughs> Most right. people don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah. They just want to go in and make it easy. And it's, if it says pre washed, all the better. They're like, oh, that's even better. Let's work for yes, you. Yes. And if it's wrapped in 17 layers of plastic wrap, it's gotta gosh, be even more that clean, makes me right? feel better. Yeah. yeah. More plastic, <laughs> please. Well, <laughs> I think uh, she also was mentioning that they were some of the first to have some of the broccolini varieties available. So, yeah, the cutting edge with cutting culinary edge. things. <laughs> right, right. It's before it was a thing. Go, Amy, go. Right. Yeah, she said hundreds and hundreds of different varieties. Yeah. Of of all the stuff that they it have. It would be really neat to see the list of right. what all they've grown over the last 16 yeah. seasons. Yeah. Just like, and every year not, they do Maybe new not ones. just pumpkin. It's like there are probably three or five varieties of pumpkin. Like, yeah. what a spectacular list. And, wow, tons of opportunities to... See what works and what doesn't work. Some of these heirloom varieties aren't going to fit every region in the U.S., of course. So constant trial and error, battling voles, battling climate, pop-up storms. 
And their name is, is Three Rivers. Yeah. We missed that in the interview, but you were saying earlier it was about something like... Well, so near Alton and Elsa, Illinois, which is just across the river from St. Louis, Missouri, there's a merging of a couple different rivers there. So I'm wondering if the name Three Rivers... It's gotta be. Uh, is birthed out of that confluence sure. of those multiple rivers. Yeah. I thought it was just a confluence of two rivers, but maybe it's three. Or it's kind of metaphorical. Maybe it's the two rivers and then what they are bringing into the community. Maybe their yeah. energy and efforts are the third river. Sure. Maybe. Maybe we should have asked. It's one one question we should have asked. Yeah. Anybody. Noted. <laughs> Ugh. Dear Amy, please email us. And with that, let's go to the interview with Amy Cloud of Three Rivers Community Farm. My name is Amy Cloud. And hi, Amy. Hi. I am the owner of Three Rivers Community Farm, along with my husband, Jose Lara. His nickname is Sege, so some people might know him by his nickname. And this is our 17th season. I should say we also have two wonderful children. My son, Diego, he's 13, and my daughter, Lydia, is 10. Who is a huge, a huge baseball fan, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Both our kids are. If we're, like, not farming, we're probably watching the Cardinals baseball game. Yeah. In the evenings, anyway. This is our 17th season, so I've been at this for a while. We were at the original Tower Grove Farmer's Market all those many years ago. Before we moved here to Elsa, I grew up in Michigan. I grew up on a small kind of, well, actually mid-sized conventional corn and soybean farm, also dairy farm. So I have Mm. farming in my blood. Yeah. My husband's from Mexico, though, did not grow up um, in a rural setting, grew up in a pretty good-sized town in Mexico. But he came to the United States with a visa to work on a farm. And we actually met at the farm where he worked, Angelic Organics, which is up near Chicago, about an hour north in Rockford. That was in 2002 that we met. 2003, four, and five, we were managing a farm just down the road in Godfrey, started by a Catholic seminary called La Vista. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the original organic CSA farm in the area. We did that for three years and then decided we wanted to have our own place. So we were just managing that farm, didn't own the property or anything. But during that time, we met a lot of Principia people. They would come, you know, be CSA members there or just shop at the farm. And I approached them, you know, after familiarizing myself with Elsa and realizing what a cute little place it is. If we could, you know, rent land from Principia or buy land. And it turns out they lease a lot of land um, to farmers, but we were the first ones to ever approach them with an organic vegetable farm. So that was a new concept. Took some time, about a year and a half to work out all the details, but finally signed the lease. And, you know, we've been here 17 years 17 years. That's That's pretty impressive. Wow. Was it your interest in farming and just kind of learning like that skill set? You grew up in a rural farming situation where you're just trying to kind of hone your own skill set. Is that what took you to that farm outside of Chicago? Like a learning opportunity or more of a work learning opportunity? Well, actually growing up on a farm, I didn't want to be a farmer. So I went to college. I was a literature major. But yes, very. And I actually went on and got my master's degree in writing while I was farming the first few years at La Vista. But I didn't, you know, leaving my dad's farm, I did not want to be a farmer. It was really difficult, you know, childhood. And he was farming in a really challenging time too. 
So went to college, thought I was going to like live in the city, work at a publishing company. I did an internship in Chicago for like four months doing that and realized pretty quickly that was not my cup of tea either. Somebody introduced me to Wendell Berry at that time. Just a really, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal, sustainable agricultural farmer and um, fell in love with his work and just realized there was this whole other kind of farming out there. Yeah. Yeah. Should I re-say that? No, that's okay. That's okay. But you, you rejected Chicago for so long. (laughs) Just a moment ago, you said you were definitely not a Chicago fan for, uh, for baseball. I'm not a big city person. I'm really not. I'm, I enjoy visiting here and there. I have a cousin who lives up in Chicago, but I love living out in the country. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I kind of lost my train of thought. But after college, realizing there was a whole other type of agriculture, specifically organic vegetable farming and CSA farming, I you know, did some research, found lots of farms out on the East Coast that had been farming organically for a while, decided to apprentice on a couple of farms out there. So that's really... Where, was, where in the East Coast? In uh, Massachusetts. So the first year was in Williamstown at one of the original CSA farms in like this whole country called Caretaker Farm. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up the next year in Amherst, Massachusetts at Brookfield Farm. So really those two farms kind of gave me the foundation. Some formative experiences. super formative. Yep. I had no experience in growing vegetables, no experience in organic farming. So yeah, they they really shaped, you know, the farm that we created here. And you said this was before your your masters in in writing? Yeah. So this I apprenticed on farms from 2000 to 2002 and so three seasons on a farm and then 2003 through 2005 is when I managed La Vista over in Godfrey and that was the time that I was also doing my master's at Warren Wilson College. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's in um, no, but I was North Carolina. So, oh yeah, <laughs> so I don't know a lot. <laughs> That's not true. You guys are usually the smartest ones, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Anyway, but that was something that you, you know, you just went to the school for two weeks during the summer and two weeks in the winter, and every, you know, the rest of the time it was um, correspondence with the instructor. Anyway. Sure. No, and you mentioned that your father, like he, you said that he was farming in a difficult time. Why? Yeah. Uh, the 80s and 90s for most like corn and soybean farmers. And he had a dairy too. They just weren't making any money and he was just getting into so much he was a He was a dairy farmer. He did that on top of growing corn and soybeans. Yes. Oh, How many oh, wow. heads in his dairy herd? It curious. was really small. I think okay. it was like a hundred. Okay. Um, okay. But he he managed to you know, move through that time and be successful. And And the farm is still in our family up in Michigan. In Michigan. Yeah. So my dad passed away like six years ago, but my sister and her husband continue to farm that ground. Mm. So it's wonderful that it's still in our family. And that is super cool. It's a treasure to have land anywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they took on their, uh, they took on your, your father's farm and you got your own farm. That's right. My dad would have given anything for me to go back there and start (laughs) (laughs) what we've created here back there. But, you know, I was young and just wanted to 
carve your my own, own path. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. But if I'd known how miserably hot the summers were yeah. down here, I would have stayed up in they Michigan. They are a bit oppressive. I have no idea. And very, it's like it's so humid. It's you know, horrible. Right? Like I'm from Vegas, where it is 115 degrees yeah. in the summer, but it's dry. And so it's like, oh, as long as like the sun is not directly on you, you're uh-huh. fine. Here in the summertime when it's so humid, it's like you can't escape the heat. It's just so hot. Oh, my goodness. It makes farming really challenging. Oh, I, I mean, imagine. July and August, you're over it. Yeah. And we do start really early, like 530 in the morning so that we can be done hopefully by 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. But those last three hours when it's like over 100 degrees are just brutal. For sure. No, but you were saying um, that, like, even before you got your master's in writing, you were, you know, studying up on farming. Why Why did you decide to take that path? Like, what, what was going on? Well, once I got a taste of city life and also just working in an office behind the computer, I mean, it was just so obvious to me that I wasn't going to be happy doing that, that yeah. that really wasn't my path. And I, I just reconnected with my love of being outside, my love of growing things, even though how I, I was doing that as a kid on my dad's farm was really different. Still, like the foundation is there. Yeah. And um, once I realized I could grow other things <laughs> besides Not corn and soybeans. yourself to just, yeah, yes. the standard. And have plant. more of a direct relationship with the, you know, end customer, which is one of the wonderful things about what we do here. I was all in. Like I needed just one month on an organic vegetable farm. And it's like, this is yeah. totally me. I yeah. love it. Kind of lured you in the rest of the way and yes. sealed the deal. Yes. And in those years, in those different spots, when I'm just curious personally, because I have a Wendell Berry book and it's been very <laughs> inspiring. Uh-huh. When did the, those little book nuggets or some of those readings fall into your timeline? I mean, I read a lot of Wendell Berry before. Before I actually went to apprentice on farms, okay. but then when mm-hmm. I was apprenticing too, the very first farm I worked at, uh, William in Williamstown, we lived in these little cottages down in the field. There was no electricity. We had outhouses for bathrooms. Sounds, sounds very <laughs> had, Amish. Yeah, but it wasn't a little um, rustic. It was a communal living space, like for eating and, and resting and stuff. But you did a lot of reading, right? When yeah. you're done farming. Sure, sure. <laughs> you're not popping on the television no. or listening to your favorite and podcast. And there definitely were not podcasts. Like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I had lots of time for reading. Delightful. Very nice. And, and go, go ahead. ahead. Are we are we twins or something? Most of the time, we most, do spend most spend, of our hours together through the week, we so we are becoming each together. other. I do believe. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, I was just gonna ask. Okay, so you've had this whole path. Now tell me what you do now. Tell me about your farm currently, uh-huh. and uh, and what's that what that's like. So we farm currently about eight acres of vegetables. We're not soybeans. No soybeans. Boring. Not even edamame. <laughs> <laughs> I did try and go edamame a few years ago, but nobody wants to pick the edamame, you know, sure, sure. the stock. So skip the edamame. We're a pretty diversified vegetable farm growing really every vegetable you can think of except sweet corn. And we are organic, but not certified. We do not use, or we do not go through the certification process. Good we, for you. Well, I mean, good and bad. You know, it'd be nice to have that 
kind of stamp and there'd be no but questions. But those stamps, I mean, those people, they're just businesses trying to make money. You know what I On mean? On the larger side, there's right. plenty of right. small farms like ours that do go through that certification process. We started out, you know, originally as a CSA, having like the most direct relationship you can have with your customer. Sure. Um, and just didn't feel the need, you know, to go through the certification process because a lot of our CSA members actually come out to the farm, you know, multiple times during the season for events or volunteering or just, to, you know, even come and shop at the stand. So they have lots of opportunities to walk the fields, see how things are grown out there. Sure. So that's how we started. And we just decided, you know, not to certify. We could certify any time if we wanted to, but... You know, we've been doing this for so long, like our customers know, know and us. They and they trust you. Yes, and they do. Yep. They trust us, so. Yeah. That's good. No, that's good. Some of our folks listening may not know what a CSA is. Yeah. Could you define Sorry, that for ben, us? You know, throwing that word around. No, it's it okay. stands for Community Supported Agriculture. I think its most simplest description is like a subscription program. That's what a lot of people are familiar with now. You sign up in advance, you get you know, a box of whatever these days. But CSAs have been around for close to 30 years. I mean, they were like the original subscription model. And it's been super beneficial for farmers because it's allowed us to opt out of the market system. So we set our price, you know, our CSA members pay upfront although there's a lot of flexibility now. Like I split up the payments for members. They could you know, pay over the course of a whole year if they wanted to. But the idea is there that they support the farm at the beginning, give us, you know, the money that we need to buy seeds, buy potting soil mix, buy all the supplies to get the season going. And then they take the risk because they've already paid up front to take whatever risk we might incur with the weather. So if there's a yeah. tornado that comes through and devastates the farm, we're not giving refunds. You have, know? You, have you had any tornadoes? No. And in fact... Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> most CSA farms have the opposite problem. We give yeah. too much value. <laughs> you know, it ends up being too many vegetables. Sure, um, sure, sure. We, I think, have gotten pretty good, you know, at realizing what our customers want, what our members want, so... Apparently, your customers don't want sweet corn. <laughs> I Why think they love sweet corn, but to grow sweet corn organically is really tough. I see. And it takes a lot of land, too. So. Okay. Yeah. And you, you said earlier that you have five acres of land, and then you're renting another 20. So a total of 25 acres of land a that, lot you, of that you have. A lot of it is just in, like, pastured land. So we try and practice 50-50. So half of our land in a two-year cover, cover crop system, and then the other half in actual vegetable production. Mm. Um, and we're pretty close to that. Every time we have to bring a new field into production, there's a lot of infrastructure that's involved, deer fencing, bringing in water, you know, for irrigating. Yeah. But yeah, that's a practice that we really believe in. We see the improvements in our soil when we allow it to rest. Sure, sure. So that's like kind of in that realm of the terminology, soil building and like a regenerative agriculture yeah, approach. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because so you're trying to enrich and rebuild and replenish nutrients that might yep. be depleted from either just a growing season, a kind of typical loss, or if it's been land that's maybe been abused in the past. That yeah, for sure. And it's been a long, slow road. So before we started farming here, it was farmed conventionally. Uh, okay. um, there was a three-year waiting period before we started. 
but the soils were definitely depleted, super compacted, not much, you know, microbial life or active life in the soil. It's so sad (laughs) to think about. (laughs) We've seen a big change, you know, in the soils, but it's not dramatic and it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's been a long process. I had an exercise in patience and major dedication to the replenishment. And investment. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing vegetables takes a lot out of the soil. And so we have to add tons of compost, micronutrients, macronutrients, cover cropping, and all that stuff requires a lot of money. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. Are you composting within your family as well to contribute to the farm? Or are you getting compost from other places as well? No, it's really just vegetable scraps from the field, Mm -hmm. you know, harvests that aren't marketable, that kind of thing that we create. And really, our compost is super small. We buy in compost. Okay. What we do on the farm is very, very small. But in terms of the fields, you know, we're buying tons of compost in and applying that, mainly in our smaller growing spaces like our tunnels and um, caterpillar tunnels and that kind of stuff. Sure. What was the thing that made you start your farm here? Like, what was it that you were like, okay, I, I know that I want to do this despite me trying to escape <laughs> soybean farming because of my, my, my childhood. What was it that you were like, okay, let me, let me start my own farm here in, in Illinois? Well, I came here like sight unseen. I had no family, no friends, no connections to manage La Vista CSA, which was in Godfrey. Did that for three years and just really connected with so many people. I mean, having a CSA farm is a great way to make friends. (laughs) You know, those are a lot of our friends are our customers. So I had some really strong friendships, relationships, and really the missing piece was us owning some land or just leasing some land, like having our own space to start our own farm. So I approached Principia College and they ended up, you know, having acreage that we could lease. I loved the village of Elsa, reminded me of, you know, New England and fell in love with the town itself and, you know, just had this dream of creating a farm that fed the local community right here. I wish, you know, we fed everybody in Elsa. Obviously that, you know, doesn't happen. We have moved over to St. Louis and have a lot of customers over there too. But yeah, I just wanted to connect with this local community, love the village of Elsa, love everybody who lives there, Chautauqua you know, Godfrey, Alton, it's a great, a great area. Lovely. Yeah. And the river bluff views on the way here along the river is really stunning. (laughs) You guys came at a great time because there's tons of migratory birds right now. I don't know if you guys saw any. I saw a very pretty blue bird. Uh I don't know what kind of bird it was because I'm not a bird watcher myself. However, it was very blue and it was very pretty. And I think I may even have it photographed. We actually just saw an eagle, right? No um, oh, phenomenal. Uh, on the trees along the road. It's very unusual to see them that far off the bluffs. You know, they like to be right along the river. Yes. But, yeah. Wow. We kind of see all sorts cool. of stuff out here. <laughs> One of the things that we've uh, kind of learned about as we've started to speak with some more growers and farmers is obviously there are challenges in addition to building your soil and defending uh, your product against Dear, what other enemies must you battle here on the farm? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call the weather the enemy, mm. but it is absolutely it is a big factor. Yeah, sure. the biggest risk and factor in what we do. And I mean, you know, I've been farming my whole life essentially, and definitely the swings and temperature and the you know violent storms 
that that's all pretty new. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah. So uh, just the unpredictability of the weather. That's why we've invested, you know, in a lot of infrastructure, mainly these tunnels that help us hedge our bets, so to speak, against the weather. So that protects our crop really from, you know, huge downpours of like five inch rains. We can add shade cloth to those tunnels. So when it gets super hot, you know, that's not something we can do out in the field. We can't stretch a shade cloth over an acre or something. So those tunnels, that's why you see them, you know, popping up on so many small farms like ours. And you... You had mentioned uh, a particular rodent that I had never heard Uh before. (laughs) We definitely have vole issues. That's with a V. And it's similar to a mouse, a little bit larger. They can come in and just like devastate certain crops. They love root vegetables like radishes and turnips. Uh, I mean, if we plant, you know, 10 turnips, they could eat eight of them in just one night. Yeah. That's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) You just need need a lot of cats and we try and do our best with trapping, but we do like in the spring lose a lot of crops. Once it gets hot, they don't necessarily forage for those anymore, but they can be really a problem in the spring and the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a mouse in my house. Uh I didn't mean to rhyme that time. (laughs) (laughs) But I had a mouse in my house and I, I texted my mom and I said, mom, make room for me. <laughs> I can't, I cannot do this. I'm not made out for this, uh, for the mouse living, you know? I feel bad. I kind of make my husband deal with that side of the farm. <laughs> See, and I guess that's the thing. That's what he's I don't here have for. I know. <laughs> but, you know, he doesn't have to deal with emailing people. So I feel like it's pretty fair. Yeah. So, fair it's, so you, guys, you guys challenges. Take, yeah. You guys both have different your roles. own different roles. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's A lot of teamwork. Speaking of, how many other hands do you have on your farm? Well, during the summer, my kids don't go to daycare or anything like that. So they're with us on the farm all summer long. You'll see them at the farmer's market quite a bit. They'll be helping at the farm stand. They love to be out in the field doing different jobs, usually a couple hours in the morning. And then they'll come back out for like an hour in the afternoon. They're not out there slaving away all day long. Let's Wait, let's, let's, let's ask. Let's ask. Do you like being on the farm? Uh, yeah. What do you do when you're on the farm? Uh, usually harvest a lot. That's probably my favorite thing to do. Yeah? What kind of things are you harvesting? Salad mix, carrots, tomatoes. Okay. What is your most favorite vegetable? What gets you most excited to eat? Probably. Or top two. Top two. That's a tough one. Probably tomatoes. Ooh, good one. Did you know tomatoes actually a fruit? No, they roll their eyes at me. We all know, like how we treat tomatoes. It's generally widely accepted as the veggie. It's like okay, get out of here, you snob. No, go ahead. Let's let's hear it. What's your favorite? Probably carrots. We can grow some very sweet ones too. Ooh, delightful. That sounds amazing. I'm a major carrot head myself. You know, you're gonna have to give me some of those sometime. I'd love to try them. Definitely. Only if you pull them out of the ground yourself, Jackson. And if you come to the farm in late May, she's pretty much camped out in our strawberry patch. That's where you will find her. (laughs) She has the honor of scouting for the first ripe strawberry every spring. And nobody better go in that patch (laughs) before she finds it and gets to eat it. 
Got yeah, it. For okay. Sure. The strawberry connoisseur, yeah. the watcher, the I, ranger, ranger strawberry of the hummus? berries. Have you guys tried that? <laughs> not yet, yeah. but <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have my people talk to your people. <laughs> this sounds like an expensive hummus. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The color no. would be glorious, though. No, but you you mentioned earlier that your husband has no farming experience. Yeah. Tell me, tell me more about him. So my husband's from a pretty good-sized town in Mexico, Aguas Calientes. He came to the United States to work on a farm. It was just kind of the job, you know, that he was able to get for his visa. And he actually had a friend who was working there. Uh, The farm is Angelic Organics up in Chicago. And he, he loved it. He, like I said, didn't have any farming experience, but just loved to work. And he has learned so much. I mean, he's really like the superhero now out in the field. He's the fastest. He knows the most. I was the one that taught him how to drive tractor. Now he can outdrive all of us on <laughs> any piece of equipment. He's really, you know, a Renaissance guy, knows how to fix everything. Yeah. So he's like the muscle of the farm. Sure. And I'm kind of the, you know, brain, so to speak. <laughs> I'm the one with the big ideas and he makes it happen. Ah, wonderful. An yeah. implementer. Yes. Tool and building fix-it specialist. The, uh, the rodent handler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well said. No, but Angelic Farms, you, you, I mean, you had mentioned that you were working there for uh-huh. a little while. That, yeah. And that's where you met each yes. other. Yes. Yep. yep. That was the place. Yes. About how many acres did that farm encompass? That farm is really big. So I they had imagine. a 1,500-member CSA. Our CSA is just at 300 members to give you some size, you know, scale. Um, I think it was over 30 acres and they had a crew of Hispanic workers and a crew of American workers and we all mingled and my husband and I, you know, connected. And the rest (laughs) is history. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Super cool. No. Okay. So just to, just for the storyline. So you were working at Angelic, you met your husband. Yep. And then... Then we moved to Godfrey, and that's where I was the farm manager at La Vista. Okay. Did that for three years. Took a year off, so to speak, while we kind of developed this farm, came up with a business plan, acquired equipment, all that kind of stuff. And where you got your master's, huh? That that kind of happened when I was at La Vista. Right. For two years. But yes, around that same time. And then in 2007, that's when we started here. Very good. Very fun. Yeah. <laughs> It's been a crazy ride. The farm has certainly changed quite a bit, but what's always been the heart of our farm is our CSA, you know, family, our CSA members. We started with this core group. So many of them have been with us for 17 seasons. Remarkable. Yeah, it is really remarkable. I mean, they've, you know, invested and helped us grow our farm. They, you know, have been here as wonderful friends to our family and supporters and Sure. We really owe them so much. Would you say that one of the biggest things, because obviously there's so many benefits on both sides uh, for a CSA, the person that is paying in, but also the farmer, is it the sort of like the, the funding and knowing that you have this sort of like grounding of an investment? Yeah. Like that's got to be huge, having some finances oh, in the forefront that can help I mean, you. I hear so many farms who maybe just go to the farmer's market or are operating a farm stand, 
talk about how they have to go get a loan at the beginning of the season to buy their seeds. You know, I don't, I've never had to do that. We've always, you know, had the money in the bank and it's an incredible sense of security and relief. And just like one last thing a farmer has to do. There's so much. That's really great to hear and just know how that works and can provide well a safety net and security cord for you. Not to mention all the connectivity. Your first round of CSA, like season one, two, three, what, what, Approximately how many families did you serve? We started at 150. Okay. Yeah. So So we started at solidly. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. In terms of acreage, uh, probably pretty close to doubling too. But as we become more experienced growers, honestly, like our yields get better and we grow on less land, you know, which is, is ideal. That way we can rest it more, get more into cover crop. That kind of thing. What type of cover crops have you used? Our favorite for a long term, you know, resting period is clover. We just put a mix of clovers out there and that works really well. During the season, we do combinations of like oats and peas, buckwheat and hemp, like sun hemp is a good one. Cow peas are really great. If you want to get some soil covered for the winter, like rye and vetch is another good combination. So it really depends on what the field is going to be used for. Is it going into that longer rest period or does it just have like a couple months in the summer that needs to be covered? That kind of thing. For some educational component Uh for anybody that might be listening, what are some of the the benefits that you and or the land are getting from securing a cover crop over some of your The main benefit is just keeping the soil covered. So if you have a huge rain event, you know, there'll Mm. be way less erosion or just the months during the winter keeping the soil covered with a cover crop is great. It also adds a lot of organic matter. So a lot of the cover crops that we grow will get maybe knee high and then we'll mow it down and all that green, you know, nitrogen knee just goes high. right back into Jeez. the soil. Yeah, I mean that's not super high. That sounds that sounds pretty high. In rural talk, <laughs> that's nothing actually. <laughs> Listen, I'm a good old city boy from Vegas. This sounds <laughs> too wild. Yeah, this compared to a, a lawn. <laughs> yes, that would be tall. So anyway, you can let a cover crop grow a couple times and mow it and it'll regrow and mow it. And you're just like adding all that, you know, biomass and organic matter back into the Sounds soil. rich. Yes. And plus you're adding tons of food, you know, to all the microbes and fungus bacteria. Keeping that biodiversity level yes. growing and soaring. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Well, and probably pollinators too. I suspect oh, some of these absolutely. things bring come to blooms before yes. they're knocked down with the mower. Yes. And you Sun get... hemp is great for that. And buckwheat are really great for attracting pollinators. Neat. That's a fun adventure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure if you sightings. talk to organic vegetable farmers, they'll say, you know, their favorite crop is cover crop, <laughs> you know, because they just know how beneficial it is for the soil. Yeah. Sure. Like a superfood. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so earlier you took us to your your nursery just out back and it was heated <laughs> which i very much appreciated because it is only it's only march and it's, and it's a little cold <laughs> yeah but but yeah tell me about how that came about because you you got 25 acres and I, we were we were in about i don't know what like 21 feet of, of nursery? Right. Our greenhouse where we start our own plants is really small. It's just 30 by 75. So you don't need a big space to start plants. Kind of one of the remarkable things of working in the spring at the farm here, just see, you know, a seed so small, 
starting out and how little space it takes up. And then just realizing in a couple months, you know, all these plants are going to take over and fill, you know, eight acres worth of land. Wow. Crazy. But starting in the greenhouse this time of year is the best, you know, it's cold outside, it's frosty, but the greenhouse is always warm. There's so much green, so much life in there. I think most, you know, vegetable farmers will say it's like the best time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So much beauty in there. We saw a lot of colors. Yeah. Yeah. I love the purple. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about uh, some of the things you're starting out uh, with for your spring growing. Yes. This time of year, it's a lot of broccoli, cabbage, kale, lettuces, Napa cabbage, scallions. But we've also started some summer crops like tomatoes, peppers, eggplant. They were all in there. We had some beets, some spinach, some peas. So your classic spring mix, but a few summer crops started too. Okay, so I have a I have a genuine question. Uh-huh. And again, I was homeschooled, so so don't laugh at me for asking this, but what is the difference between a scallion and a green onion? Actually, they're the same thing. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Phew, okay. Okay, good. Like yeah, a chickpea said- and a garbanzo bean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no difference. I'm so, so glad because I was, I was a little worried. Um, I was like, okay, should I buy her scallions or her green onions? I don't, I don't actually know. (laughs) No, they really unveiled on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Have you done uh, garlic? bulbs heads before like just for your family we do or plant garlic yeah. yes um, and actually that was pretty close I should have showed you guys those rows but garlic is one of the first things to pop up all our garlic has popped up it's been up for like three weeks what or was, so what was the first thing that you decided to to grow I mean since we knew we were going to be a CSA farm we had to do a diversity of vegetables so sure. there's kind of like a standard 40 to 50 you know different crops that oh, most wow. CSA farmers grow sure is that kind of what your spring and summer encompasses, your yes. numbers? Yeah, that's right around that range. Now, in terms of varieties of those things, we're talking hundreds, you know, yeah. varieties. Yeah. But, Ooh, that's yep. exciting. To it think is about. really fun. And colors especially, and different flavor profiles. Yes. And- looking through the seed catalogs, you know, in the winter, dreaming about which new crops to try or varieties, really, which new varieties to try. Yeah. It's always fun. Lydia always goes through the catalog, picks some new thing that she wants to try and grow. This year, it's like a new variety of carrot. Super sweet. Super sweet. That's right. Uh I'm going to be back for that one, Lydia. (laughs) If you care at all, you'll come back and get some carrots later this summer, right? Yes. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Sorry, I had to. No, throw but that tell one us about in. the tell us about the farmers markets. Yeah, yeah. Where can yes, people find absolutely. your products? Tell I, us more. I love to brag about our CSA members, but we have wonderful farmers market customers too. Absolutely love them. They've been so loyal, supportive of our family. They've literally watched our children grow up. I mean, I was pregnant with both our kids at the Tower Grove market. So we started at the Tower Grove. We've been doing that. You know, this will be our 17th season there. And for a while, we did the Wednesday market in Maplewood. And just last year, decided to stop going to that. It was a really difficult decision. But I had not had dinner with my family on a Wednesday evening in like 16 years. So it was just kind of time, you know, to simplify things a little bit. I bet bet Lydia appreciated that. Yeah, Wednesday evening is like our new favorite evening. So chill. (laughs) Wednesday's like spaghetti night, isn't it? 
That's what it was in my family. My family, I think Tuesday was like Taco Tuesday. Uh Wednesday was spaghetti night. Yeah. We don't have any set meal schedule. Well, not yet. Yeah. But (laughs) if she has anything to say, there's pasta involved for sure. Pasta power. But the Tower Grove Market has just been so wonderful for our farm. We love that community of vendors and shoppers and just grateful for you know, the opportunity to sell there. Yeah. It has just an amazing feel about it and energy. I mean, my kids absolutely love going there and just cruising around and, you know, gorging on all the amazing food there. And yeah, yes, it's such a, it's, it's a fun great atmosphere. variety of vendors and artisans. And yeah, yeah, like you said, a delightful group of people to meet yes. and to get to know. Yep. Um, do you do anything with the Alton Farmer's Market? Is there one no. in Alton? Is that yes, correct? there okay. is one in Alton. Um, just because we're small and we don't have a big staff. I think you started to ask me that question. I didn't ever reply. But so it's my husband, and myself, our two kids. And then we usually have between three and four full-time seasonal employees. Mm-hmm. So they'll work from like March through mid-December or so. Sure. So because it's kind of a small staff and we have our on-site farm stand that's open on Saturdays too. Yeah. Don't have enough, you know, people. For sure. You were mentioning the Elsa community. Yes. You sell a lot to them. A lot of them. Do they come to the farmer's markets or do you just sell to them directly? They come to our farm stand. Ooh. tell, Tell us about that, your farm stand. So our farm stands open to the public Thursday, Friday, and Saturdays from mid-May through October. We actually have a huge plant sale the last two weekends in April that bring a ton of people out. (laughs) A lot from St. Louis too, actually, which is really fun. Our plant sale has such a diversity of plants that you're not going to find, you know, at a big box store. And they're so healthy because Mm. I know how to grow plants, you know. (laughs) That's true. It's nice to have a healthy start. Like if you're investing in plants for yourself, it's nice to know that they've got a a nice healthy healthy root system and exactly. they're pesticide free. It's great to start with something that you know you can trust. Yes. And a lot of the plants that you buy at a box store, like the potting soil mix, it's just like loaded with fertilizers. And then you put them in your soil oh. that, you know, probably doesn't have that stuff going on. And, you know, they're off to a rough start kind of sure. right away. But ours are compost-based potting soil mix. So it's probably more in line with what a home gardener has anyway. Anyway, we start with the plant sale and then our stand opens up like officially to the public in mid-May. We sell all our produce there, but then probably the best part aside from our vegetables is just selling lots of other local artisan goods like milk and hummus. (laughs) Our customers love that. Wait, milk and honey? Milk and hummus, I said. Oh, okay. It may be an ongoing joke. <laughs> Their <laughs> hummus and our vegetables are like a match made in heaven, <laughs> especially cool. our celery. Delightful. Oh man, people Ugh. just love our spring and real celery. November is celery, so incredible. It I is. just had like real celery for the first time a couple of years ago, uh-huh. which I guarantee you, probably over ninety percent of the world. Has it oh, had no anything way. outside yeah. of the grocery store celery? Yes. And it's way, way different. Yes. So mm. much flavor. I so was good. blown away by yeah. celery. Anyway, so I love, you know, selling other local goods. Just this last year, we started adding some ice cream. So we sell Sugar Witch ice cream sandwiches. Just finding like those really fun, unique items. And a lot of that has come from the Tower Grove market, you know, sure. seeing what yeah, vendors yeah. are there. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. Great network. Of, but, uh, yes, to eat. When, did, yes. 
When did this when did this come about? You selling your your stuff here because the you... farm stand happened. Um, this will be our eighth year. So oh, nice. Before we had uh, this barn, which you guys toured, we lived actually right in Elsa. So we were commuting back and forth to the farm. And eight years ago, we were able to get a loan and we built this barn. And that's when we decided to have an on-site farm stand. And it's been wonderful. You know, it's been a great way to connect with our most, you know, local community here. And just so fun to see like what people like, what they want to eat, you know what intrigues them. And a lot of them head out to the fields. We have some you-pick things they can do, like flowers, cherry tomatoes, herbs. So they have, you know, an opportunity every week to, you know, connect on a deeper level with how their food's being grown and who's growing it. I mean, it's either myself or my husband or my kids who are manning the stand so they can, you know, talk to the farmers direct. Right. Any questions will likely be answered. (laughs) That is nice. Yeah. I just want to I want to go back to Lydia for a second cuz she lit up when we mentioned the ice cream that you were I <laughs> did see a sparkle carrying. in her eye. <laughs> do tell. What uh, what do you think about this ice cream, Lydia? They're really good. What's your favorite flavor? Um, probably the sprinkle ones are one of my favorite flavors. Sprinkle. What's that? It's just regular vanilla with sprinkles in it. Mm. All right. Delicious. And the format is like a cookie ice cream sandwich. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. It's hard to it's hard to beat that. I think uh, I think you're onto something. If you guys haven't tried a sugar witch ice cream sandwich, I don't know what. I personally waiting have not. for. I think they were actually in our incubator kitchen for a while and moved out just like in the last year and a half. Yeah. I have seen the delights of their products. I have never actually gotten to eat one. So. And they do plenty of vegan options too, which oh, is really awesome great. Awesome to know, yeah. yeah. Love, love good coconut milk And I think too. they're pretty close to you guys. They're just in South County, Carondelet. Ooh, yeah, yeah, they got sure. a spot just south of Dutch. Yeah, basically just south of the kitchen. Yeah. Well, no excuses now. <laughs> no, zero excuses. I mean, I didn't really know that this place existed, but yeah, now, now kind of thanks to Lydia, I am going to revealed. I'm going to eat all of the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream is my favorite food group, so <laughs> it's the most important part of a food pyramid. <laughs> We've also talked to a lot of uh, farmers that have animals. Um, uh-huh. So uh, you mentioned cats. How many cats do you have in your Just posse? one cat. Okay. Um, we did raise chickens, laying hens for quite a number of years, but recently gave that up. It was just kind of a, a big enterprise that really was not money making. And we didn't have the best place to store chickens over the winter. We would sure. put them in one of our greenhouses. It was just kind of a hassle. So we have, you know put that or given that to the livestock experts, which there are so many in our region. Cool. Good to know. Thank you. Mm -hmm. This is really fun. Thank you, Amy and Lydia. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Yeah. Happy to help. I'm so excited for you guys. Hope it takes off. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people and farms to showcase around here. So I'm really excited to kind of dish out some credit where credit is due because Good, delicious, tasty things come from (laughs) great tasting, high quality produce. And there's a lot here in the Midwest. That's awesome. Thanks again to Amy Cloud of Three Rivers Community Farm. You can find her products at Tower Grove Farmers Market. Or if you live close to Elsa, take a visit to their farm stand. It's open Thursday and Friday from 10 to 7 and Saturdays 9 to 2, May through October. Also, find her at her website, threeriverscommunityfarm.com. 
or their social Three Rivers Community Farm. This is Tangled Taproot, a production of Milk and Hummus. I'm Jackson. I'm Kristen. I'm John Cowan. If you like what you heard, please like, share, and review us. Again, thanks so much for listening. Send us your thoughts to tangledtaproot at milkandhummus.com. We plan to answer questions and share feedback. Until next time. Until next time. Cheers. Ciao for now. <laughs> <laughs>